Well, what would you do for your neighbors? In an extreme act of unselfishness, a group of Japanese retirees showed how powerful and life-saving caring for neighbors can be. Due to damage, a tsunami called to the Fukushima nuclear plant, the plant was spewing harmful radiation into the community. It created a terrible scenario. The longer it went on, the more people were at risk, yet the radiation was so high that if anyone went in to repair, they would be at risk of death. So Yasutura Yamada, a 72-year-old retired engineer, decided that the only way to save his neighbors would be to sacrifice himself. He organized the Skilled Veteran Corps, a group of retirees over 60, to go in and stabilize the plant. It isn't brave, he said to the BBC. It's practical. Even if I were exposed to radiation, cancer could take 20 or 30 years or longer to develop. Therefore, the older ones have less chance of dying of this cancer. Now, that is being a really good neighbor. And that is spending your retirement in an interesting way, isn't it? Well, today we wrap up our series next door, The Call of the Neighborhood. And in this series, we've been taking a look at what the Bible has to say about being the neighbor that God wants us to be. And so far, we've explored ideas like being a good neighbor was really important to Jesus. He calls us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. He calls this the the commandment that is just right, that flows right from the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he calls us to love because God has first loved us. And get this, how you treat your neighbor is as important to your spiritual journey, it is as important to your spiritual formation and your spiritual maturity as your study of the Bible. Let me say that again. How you treat your neighbor is as important to your obedience to the Lord as studying the Bible. They're both really, really important. But it's not less. We also explored the idea that our neighbor is not limited to geography or affinity. Although living for Christ in your neighborhood is really, really important, Jesus also taught us that our neighbor is anyone who has need in that great parable of the Good Samaritan. And then last week we discovered the powerful truth that through the Holy Spirit, God gives us the capacity to love those who are even hard to love in our lives. So today what we're going to do is we're going to turn to words from St. Paul in really sort of a summary or or wrap-up of the entire series. Let me invite you to turn or launch your Bibles to Romans chapter uh, 12, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And let me just offer a, a, a bit of context before I read the passage. Romans is an extraordinary book of the Bible. It is rich in theology. It is focused on the power of the gospel of Jesus. It is, for the most part, really logical and organized, if you like reading things that are kind of logical and organized. And yet, our text for today stands out as a text that just doesn't seem quite to fit in the rest of the other sections. It has rapid-fire, short imperatives, short commands. There's even a two-word sentence in my translation, practice hospitality, period. 
And we will see imperatives on how the Christians should live toward the Christian's neighbor and how Christians should live toward the Christian community. And this section of Romans is, called, uh, is written in the style called Paranesis. So what is Paranesis? Paranesis would be your brother's two daughters. Bada bing, that was a joke. Oh, wow, that was a bad joke. Paranesis, your brother's two daughters. Okay, all right. Actually, it was a very common style of writing uh, in the ancient world, and it has three characteristics. It was used for moral teaching and to urge certain types of behavior. It usually depends on tradition, and so Paranesis is usually a writing where someone has taken uh, words that they have heard from other sources, and it depends on tradition. And in the biblical days, if someone was, was offering a word that was taken from other sources, this was considered even uh, more of an imperative. And so as you hear me reading these words that the Holy Spirit gave St. Paul, you can hear echoes of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. And then Paranesis is loosely structured. So you'll see this moving around in almost a random way, and it's almost impossible to pursue uh, a theme or line of development. And so you'll see it jumping all over for a minute. So now you're up to date on Paranesis. If your office or your neighborhood has a a Halloween party at the end of the week, there's your trivia you can ask somebody. And, uh, or uh, for trick-or-treat, you can give out cards defining Paranesis instead of a Snickers bar. Just don't put the church's address on it because I don't think they'll like you. Okay, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. St. Paul writes, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. By the way, the the heaping coals is considered to be uh, 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 almost an encouragement for someone who is is, uh, treating you harshly that they will feel so bad because you're so kind that they may turn from their ways and start being good rather than evil. Well, this is the Word of God for the people of God. As we wrap up this neighborhood series, let me ask you to bring a neighbor to the front of your mind. Just bring a neighbor to the front of your mind. It might be somebody who lives close to you. It might be a coworker or someone else uh, that you have defined as your neighbor in this series. I want you to bring them close to mind. Put the face on them. Hold him or her in your mind. And as we bring this series home, I just want us to all elevate this call of Jesus in our daily lives in a very practical way. And I want to use three summarizing traits of a Jesus-following, God-honoring, neighbor 
loving disciple that we see from this fascinating text. And the first one is we are to be real. That as God's people at work in the world, we are to be real. Paul says, he starts off the entire section by saying we need to have a sincere love for one another. A sincere love. Now, take a look at this really short one-minute video, and I want you to see what sincere love is not. Okay? Take a look at this video real quick. Um, no. Huh? Well, over to the left. Okay. Need a photographer? Yeah! Thanks. Thanks. So where'd you guys go off to all dressed up this morning? Oh, uh, church, Easter services. How nice, how nice. What did your pastor preach about this morning at this uh, church service? I'm sorry? You know, what was the sermon about? Oh, Jesus. Uh-huh. You know, how he, uh, he, con- he conquered death, right? You, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, and he uh, gave us, you know, life? Uh-huh. Abundantly? Huh. Interesting. Very interesting. Hey, you didn't think my wife and I need to hear about that this morning? That wasn't on your radar? No? Say cheese! All right, that's actually an Easter invitation. Uh, It's silly, right? But it does make a point. Are we really sincere in our love for our neighbors? And do we really believe our faith is worth sharing? I mean, it does lift that point up. So in this, Paul, in this section, St. Paul addresses both a need for a real sincere love and a real sincere faith. The Greek word for sincere is actually translated unhypocritical. In ancient Greece, a hypocrite would be someone who was wearing a mask in a play. So the Greeks would have heard this and they would have interpreted it as, hey, don't wear a mask with your faith or don't wear a mask when you love someone. So what does wearing a mask uh, with insincere love, insincere love look like? What does mask wearing with insincere love look like? Well, maybe it's smiling at them on the outside, but as soon as you shut the door, talking about them on the inside. Or how about this one? Hey, we should get together sometime and never accepting the invitation or never reaching out. You say it, but you don't really mean it. Or how about this one? Hey, call me anytime if you need anything. Just give me a call. And then ring, ring, ring. It's your neighbor. Hey, I need a ride to Dulles at 4 a.m. in the morning tomorrow. Now, by the way, I'm a Southerner. I've lived in other parts of the country. And as a Southerner, I can say this. We're terrible at this. See, Southerners have a way of not saying what they mean because they just don't know how to actually say, nice talking to you, goodbye. So they say, nice talking to you, hey, why don't we go to the beach together sometime? And they don't really mean it, but that's kind of how it comes out. 
Now, this creates a bit of tension. Last week, we talked about loving your enemies with a love that's unconditional and an intentional choice. We choose to love people who are hard to love even when we don't feel like it. Yet Paul says here, don't be phony. Don't be insincere. Do you feel that tension? Well, one of the ways I think it helps us is that when we realize in the early church, when love was talked about in light of like loving your neighbor, it was almost always connected with action and always connected with helping people as much as it was having a warm feeling. And in many cases, when we act and we help someone, even before we feel like it, the Holy Spirit works in us and starts giving us a heart of mercy and our feelings begin to follow our actions. We're also called to be real with our faith, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Can you imagine the reputation that you would cultivate in your neighborhood if you exuded joy and the hope of the Lord and that you exuded patient in affliction, patient in those hard times? Can you imagine the reputation you would cultivate if your neighbors knew that they could count on you in prayer and for prayer? We're trying to to model this as a congregation. A couple weeks ago, a few of us met with some key leaders from the school that is leasing space in our facility. And they are, in a sense, our immediate neighbor along with Together We Beg. You may or may not know their story, but for a while this summer, uh, this school was homeless. They didn't have a place for their school to meet due to a lot of various circumstances, and we worked it out, and we were able to give them space for this academic year. And at the end of this meeting, I simply asked them, and I don't think they've ever been asked this question before, but I simply asked them, how can we pray for you? How can we pray for you? And they almost looked stunned as they answered. And they answered, well, first of all, pray for our faculty. They are exhausted. Imagine being a a faculty on the move, right? And not quite knowing where your school's going to be. And they're flat out exhausted. And then pray for them to find a long-term home. And so as I encourage you, as you see their signs around the building, I encourage you to pray for our neighbors. They're our immediate neighbors here as a congregation. Pray for their faculty that God would give them strength. Pray that they would find a long-term home. Pray that they would know the love of Jesus Christ and the salvation he offers. So let me offer a neighbor challenge this morning. Will you ask a neighbor how you can pray for him or her this week? Will you do that? And then will you pray for them? Will you ask a neighbor how you can pray for them this week and then follow through? So be sincere in your love, be sincere in your faith, and then be good. Be good. Paul encourages his listener to hate evil and to cling to what is good. He encourages them not to seek vengeance. When we refuse to seek vengeance, then we break the cycle of violence and evil. Can you imagine what it would be like if your house or your cubicle at work or whatever space you occupy is the place and the space where others know that goodness and peace reigns. If your neighbors knew that at your house all are welcome, that at your house there's no place 
for divisions at your house? That at your house you're good with people getting together from other backgrounds, other thoughts? That you're good getting together with people who have whole different politics? Or how about this one? When the HOA is battling over what color to paint the shutters of the condo building, you refuse to take side, you make peace, you bring harmony, even though you hate the two colors under consideration. By the way, HOAs are places where a lot happens in communities, right? By the way, be involved in yours. If you want to be the presence of Jesus, be involved in yours, but be a good presence of Jesus while you're involved. Here's a detail I don't want us to overlook today. Paul ends the entire section by saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The idea of overcoming is a statement of offense, not defense. Note, evil is on offense. The way to combat it is being on offense with goodness. Let me ask you a question. I like to talk often about where goodness, peace, love, and justice are flourishing in the neighborhood. But do you know where evil is winning in your neighborhood and in your workplace, in your school? As God's people, we need to know where evil is advancing so that we can suit up and do battle and overcome evil with the goodness and the grace and the love of Jesus. Where is systemic racism holding people down? And oppressing them. A good neighbor would pray and ask God to bring justice and mercy and goodness in those places. Where are children going hungry? Where are drugs being sold? A good neighbor would work to feed the children and do what it takes to stop drug trafficking. Where is human trafficking on the rise? A good neighbor would stand against it and bring goodness. Where are their neighbors warring in your community? A good neighbor would step in and try to bring peace and bring harmony. You see, being good isn't just having a nice, fuzzy Mr. Rogers type of presence. It also means being a warrior for peace and justice and mercy and love and standing against those forces of evil. To me, this comes down to our theology of salvation in many ways. Many Christians believe in what I like to call the, the Christian evacuation plan. You know, I get saved and so I can go to heaven. I get saved so I can be evacuated one day that God's going to evacuate everybody up to heaven. God's salvation really is certainly about us living with God one day for all eternity, but is so much more. It is not an evacuation plan. It's more of an invasion plan. God does not save you just to beam you up to heaven. Otherwise, He would just save you and beam you up in that moment. God saves you to become part of His work in the world, to bring about His kingdom to bear in this world, to bring about His love and His mercy and His grace and His peace to this world. It's not an evacuation plan. It's an invasion plan to invade the world with His goodness and His love. If you want to be a good neighbor, you'll invade the darkness in your neighborhood with goodness and the light 
of Christ. So neighborhood question. Where can you bring the goodness of Jesus to overcome evil in your neighborhood? Where can you? So we need to be real. We need to be good. And we need to be available. A good neighbor is available. We don't consider ourselves better than anyone. We'll associate with people no matter what their background or status. Your willingness to be available to your neighbor starts in the heart. We will refuse to make a judgment about them when you see them. You know, when we operate in our flesh, we have a tendency to look at people and make a snap decision of whether or not we want to associate with them. More often than not, we'll choose to associate with people voluntarily with people like ourselves. But you see, the church and God's people are not governed by the flesh. We're governed by the Spirit and led by the Spirit. And God at, works in, God at work in your life leads you to see people the way God sees people first and foremost. It leads us to love people with the eyes of Jesus and consider all people precious in His sight. You've never laid eyes on someone that God does not love and for whom Jesus did not die. And even more, we're called to be emotionally available to others. We celebrate with our neighbors when they celebrate. By the way, the ability to celebrate with others and to be happy when, when others have good things happen to them is the sign of a generous spirit. You see, often when we see good things happen to others, if we're not careful, we can have an envious or jealous spirit. But being happy and celebrating with others is a sign of a generous spirit. Being happy. And we're called to mourn and to weep with others. When your neighbor is going through a hard time, this is your time to step up and to share with them in their suffering, to weep and mourn with them in a time of trouble. A few weeks ago, I was walking Gus on a Sunday morning. It was really dark. It was about 6 in the morning. It was really, really dark. And a neighbor of mine, I saw a neighbor of mine crossing uh, Wolf Street and Royal. It was about 6.15. He was on his way to 6.30 Mass at St. Mary's. And I don't know him real well, but I do know him by his first name. And I saw him and I thought, you know, I'm not going to yell out at him. If he, if he hears somebody yelling at him at 6.15 in the dark, he's, it's going to frighten him. And so I just kind of was looking down at, at Gus and about ready to move on. And then all of a sudden, a car turned from Wolf on the Royal and bumped into him, right? And it, it buckled his knees, but he didn't fall uh, to the pavement. He, he yelled. He, he, he was startled. Um, but thank God he, he, he wasn't hurt at all, and he continued to cross the street. And as soon as he got to the other side of the street, I yelled out his first name and and, and, I just, and he, looked, he couldn't quite see me in the dark. Finally, he recognized me. And I just asked him if he was okay and all that. All that. And um, later on, I, I texted him to see if he was okay. And uh, he didn't text back, so I just figured he was. And, and so, uh, interesting though, yesterday, uh, we, were at a, uh, we were at a, Jody and I were at this uh, celebration of, a, of a, another neighbor who's having a baby. They had a, kind of a celebration thing. And, and I saw my neighbor uh, who got bumped by the car and he came over to me and he said, you know, he said, I, I want to thank you for calling out my name. And I said, well, I'm, I'm glad you weren't hurt, you know. And, and he said, you know, when you called out my name, it made me realize I wasn't alone. And when you called out my name, I thought God does care that this just happened to me. And I thought, oh my goodness, I just called out his name. You never know 
when you are the presence of Jesus in a powerful way, when someone is going through a really hard time, in their, when someone's having a great time at a celebration or a hard time, it is a moment when they are open to experiencing the presence of Christ. And let me just say this. You've probably never heard a pastor say this to you, but let me say this to you. If in your weekly schedule you have to make a choice between celebrating with a neighbor or, heaven forbid, mourning with a neighbor or visiting a neighbor in the hospital or a church activity, choose the neighbor. Choose the neighbor. That's how you are on mission for our Lord in the world. Choose the neighbor. Because we are commanded to be available. We'll continue to have church activities. There'll be another one that you can come to. But choose the neighbor first. We're available. We're to be good. To bring goodness over evil. We're to be real and sincere in our faith. As a congregation, um, we have an opportunity We have a responsibility to be a neighbor to a family in our community in need. This past week, I learned that a colleague, 39-year-old church planter in the Delray community, partner in so many different ways in community ministries here, Matthew Ian Gillette, died very suddenly on Tuesday morning. Um, he left behind his wife, Abby, and his one-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. And to know Matthew, I was actually with a, a group of, of pastors when we heard this news. Some of them knew Matthew. And it was just this collective sense of mourning and this collective sense of community loss. Matthew was around almost every table in our community if things like how do we feed the poor, how do we... How do we bring justice to our community? How do we show the love of Jesus over and over and over? You could not do something in the community without running into Matthew. He was also very involved in one of our partners, Casa Chiralagua, uh, as a mentor and, and did an amazing job. He was in the process of planting a church uh, in Delray, just not too far from us. What, our neighbor, he died. He leaves behind a young widow and a very young baby. And so we want to stand with Abby and Elizabeth. We're praying for them. We're reaching out to them to see what tangible needs we can meet as a congregation. We also want to uh, provide support for them financially and to receive an offering. So we're going to begin receiving an offering starting today all the way uh, through next week. And then we'll present it to them uh, the week after next Sunday, so the first week of November. Uh, If you'd like to give, there are envelopes. Uh, like this uh, in the back by the offering boxes uh, there in the center and then uh, uh, on the stairs and in the foyer downstairs. Uh, You can give online starting this Tuesday. We'll have a link uh, available for you to do that. But no matter what you do, no matter how you feel led, please remember this family. They're neighbors. They're neighbors in need. And we want to stand with them. We want to be real. We want to be good. And we want to be available to this family and to all those that God brings into our path. God bless you. God bless you and God keep you as you seek to be the neighbor on mission 
that he wants you to be. Let's pray together. God, we lift up, first of all, God, we just want to stop and lift up Abby and Elizabeth Gillette to you, our neighbors. Lord, Matthew left such a model for us to follow about what it means to be on mission for you in the neighborhood. And Lord, I know his work, although you called him home this Tuesday unexpectedly, I know, God, his work is going to bear fruit from years and years and years, generations to come. Because he had a heart for his neighborhood, a heart for his neighbors. So Lord, we pray that you would surround Abby and Elizabeth right now in their time of grief. We pray that you would uphold them in your mighty hand, that you would pour your mercy over them. Comfort them, Lord, through the power of your church. Comfort them, Lord, through the, through the peace and the love of your church, both this church locally and all the other churches, God, with whom Matthew was involved and had an influence. God, we know that life is going to be a challenge in the days ahead. And so we just pray that you would sustain them by your grace and use us as you will to be a part of your plan of provision and sustenance for them. Lord, we lift up the neighbor that we had in our mind as we began this conversation this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to be sincere in our faith and love as we live it out with that neighbor. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be good. Help us to be people who overcome evil with goodness. Help us to be people that will not seek vengeance, but just leave that to you and to be people who would bring peace and harmony where we go. Lord, that we would be a people that seek to bring people together because of your love and because of the way that you reconcile us to God and to one another. And Lord, help us to be available to you, to be used by you with our neighbors, where we live, where we work, and where we play. God, we lift up our neighbor and neighborhoods to you. In the name of Jesus, we cover them in prayer. In the name of Jesus, we commit ourselves to your mission in our neighborhoods. In Jesus' name we pray and we ask. Amen. We're going to wrap.